It's time to get inside the Giants huddle. Huddle up, huddle up, huddle up. On Giants.com. Here we go, here we go. And the Giants mobile Get them in there, let's go. Part of the Giants podcast network. Welcome to the second ever Giants huddle mock draft. I am John Schmelk. Thank you for being with us. I went to some of my buddies around the league that cover the 10 teams ahead of the Giants at pick number 11. And I got their selections for their individual teams. And then we had Dan Duggan from The Athletic pop on to make the Giants pick at 11th overall. But first, I want to remind everybody that you can find the Giants Little Podcast and all of the podcasts we do here on the Giants Podcast Network presented by Investors Bank. That includes Big Blue Kickoff Live, our daily show every weekday at noon where we take calls from fans at Giants.com slash podcast on the Giants mobile app and on all of your favorite podcast platforms. So let us begin. The 2021 Giants Huddle Mock Draft is officially open. Making the first pick is Mike DiRocco. He covers the Jacksonville Jaguars for ESPN. Mike, who do the Jaguars select? The Jaguars have been searching for a franchise quarterback since the days of Mark Brunel and the mid to late 90s and early 2000s, and, and they've tried guys in the first round before with Byron Leftwich and Blake Bortles and Blaine Gabbard, and none of them have worked out. But they've never had the number one pick before, and there's no better year to have it than 2021 because with the first pick, the Jacksonville Jaguars are going to select Trevor Lawrence quarterback from Clemson. Perhaps the least surprising pick of all time, Mike. And by the way, thank you for joining us. I was going for the drama to start here. But was there any consideration, do you think, in that building that anyone besides Lawrence was ever going to be this pick? Or does Urban Meyer not even take this job if Trevor Lawrence isn't coming out in this situation? Well, I mean, I think if Trevor Lawrence isn't in this draft, I'm, I don't think Urban Meyer is, is the coach of the Jacksonville Jaguars. I mean, he, he admitted as much that Trevor Lawrence was a big draw to this and, and had them having the number one pick was a big draw to this. So, um, I mean, I know that they did some due diligence and investigated the other guys, uh, but yesterday, or excuse me, Wednesday on uh, the uh, Zoom pre-draft media call, Jam uh, Trent Balky was asked about what are some of the things that you learned about Trevor Lawrence during your investigation of him, and, and his response was no negative. So, um, yeah, that that potential other player was probably at like point zero 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 one percent. So it was pretty much always going to be Trevor, and, and they didn't find anything at all that would have made him even consider anybody else. Yes, and understandably so, by the way. Just to look ahead here very briefly, uh, the Jaguars do pick a little bit later on. They have that extra pick from that Jalen Ramsey trade. What are their other needs, Mike, that they'll be trying to keep an eye on uh, with that pick and then a little bit later on in the draft, uh, they're also going to select again at the uh, top of round two, I believe, uh, that they're trying to fill to to build this roster in Urban Meyer's vision. Yeah, well, they were 1-15 last year, and, and when you're 1-15, unfortunately everybody around here fan-wise seems to think it was just a quarterback. Well, no, they've got some more issues than that. They've got uh, They've got a lot of holes to fill, and they did a little bit of work in free agency there but the bottom line is is they still got to find a, a tight end. They've got to find an edge rusher or two. Um, obviously, the, those aren't going to be high picks. They're the edge rushers because of where they're, they're picking. They're not going to get a guy that's one of the elite guys there. But they've also got to add, um, you know, another safety. Uh, so a little bit more depth at corner. And I wouldn't be surprised if they target uh, a speed-wide receiver as well. And 
Urban Meyer mentioned having a speed back uh, way back when he first took the job here uh, to kind of compliment James Robinson. So that's another position to watch. So, I mean, they're going to try, and, and, and it wouldn't surprise me if they went offense the first two or three picks and then focus the rest of it on defense. Mike, awesome stuff, my friend. We appreciate you joining us for the second straight year and making the easiest draft pick you'll ever have to make. <laughs> Thank you very much, and hopefully from now on they're all easy. And now we go to our second pick in our 2021 Giants Huddle Mock Draft. The New York Jets are on the clock and joining us for the second straight year is my old buddy from my WFN days, Scott Mason from the Play Like a Jet podcast and playlikeajet.com. And Scott, our first drafter, Mike DiRocco, said it was the easiest draft pick he's ever had to make. Something tells me this one's not going to be too hard for you as well. Who do the Jets select with the second overall pick in the 2021 Giants Huddle Mock Draft? Yeah, John, this isn't too difficult. I'm going to go with Zach Wilson, the quarterback from BYU. I think he fits really well with what Mike LaFleur is going to want to do, that offshoot of the Kyle Shanahan offense. And on top of that, I just think that he's the best combination of what they're looking for, really good at reading defenses pre- and post-snap, excellent preparing. I mean, you've heard the stories about what he's done with John Beck in terms of learning how to do so many different things, including throwing off platform, a uh, real leader off the field, somebody that uh, can get out of the pocket and make plays, but also can throw inside the pocket, can throw like a dart too, man. You look and watch inside the pocket. He looks a lot like Baker Mayfield. So he can do so many different things. And while it's very disappointing that the Jets didn't end up getting Trevor Lawrence, I think Zach Wilson's going to be a really, really good quarterback. And I think that Joe Douglas and and his crew seem to be pretty sold on him. That's what the buzz has been around the league and, and, you know, inside Jets quarters for a really long time here for about a month. So I think that's what they're going to do. And and, um, I'm really excited to watch him play. So, yeah, the Jets select Zach Wilson, BYU, quarterback number two. This sounds like a bit of a convoluted question, but I think it's all kind of tied together. When do you think this decision on Wilson was made? How much consideration do you think was given to the Trey Lances, Justin Fields, and Mac Jones? And what do you think of that report that they could have gotten the Niners one for Darnold if they were willing to do this a little bit earlier, but they wanted to check out Wilson's shoulder? So just what, how do you think this process went down for the Jets in terms of landing on Wilson? I'm I'm not one who believes that report about the 49ers. I don't think that the Niners were offering the number 12 pick for Darnold. It doesn't really compute or make any sense that they were willing to do that. From what I understand, it was more uh, that they were willing to offer picks for next year, and I don't think any of them were number one picks. So I don't believe that report. As far as the process, it sounds like what happened was they sat down and they began evaluating the quarterbacks and Albert Breer had that report that they uh, that Joe Douglas told them that there were two quarterbacks that they had evaluated that they believed were better than Sam Darnold. If you use deductive reasoning, you <laughs> figure one of them was Trevor Lawrence, who they can't get, and the other was Wilson. Um, it, it feels like more or less about a month or so that they had settled on Wilson and they were just waiting to see if he was going to be able to check out medically and then they would make the move with Darnold. I don't know that they ever gave consideration to the other quarterbacks. I'm not saying they didn't like them, but it sounds like they, you know, from what Douglas told Breer, there were two guys that they liked, and without naming them, again, you have to figure one of them was Lawrence, and if 
one of them was Lawrence, and the other one, you know, clearly was Zach Wilson. So uh, it, it sounds like he was their guy all along. And um, yeah, I mean, it, it, it feels like this is, you know, as as you said, easiest decision ever for the Jaguars. It's been determined since you know, whatever they got the first pick, I guess December. So with the Jets, it feels like this has been predetermined, not for quite as long, but for about a month or two. All right, so I guess my final question then, Scott, you guys also have picks a little bit later on in the draft. You have that extra pick in the first round from the Jamal Adams trade from Seattle. Then you also have your second round pick. What are the Jets going to be looking to do here? Do they still want to reinforce the offensive line? Is it getting more weapons for for Trevor Lawrence, for uh, Zach Wilson, excuse me? Is it... You know, trying to add to the pass rush, the secondary. What do you think the the next priorities will be for the Jets with their second first round pick and their second round selection? I think they're going to be looking to add to the offensive line, and also I think cornerback will be a priority as well. I, I could see them getting a receiver if they really love one, but I think there's just too many good ones in this draft that they'll probably wait a little bit. At offensive line, it's going to depend who falls at 23. Joe Douglas seems to be a guy who likes to play the board, and what he does with that is he'll, we saw this last year, he had a deal to move up a couple spots to draft an offensive lineman if he needed to, but because he didn't need to, he stayed at 11, took his guy. He traded down in the second round and got Denzel Mims. He was comfortable doing that because there were a bunch of players that he liked, so he was fine with moving from his spot. I think there are guys like, for example, Tevin Jenkins, the offensive tackle from Oklahoma State. From what I've heard, the Jets love him, so I wouldn't be shocked to see them move up a couple of spots to get him if they have to do that. If they sit at 23, if one of those guys falls, either him or somebody like Elijah Vera Tucker, uh, one of the cornerbacks could fall, maybe Greg Newsom from Northwestern. That's a possibility. And then at 34, I think, you could be looking at another offensive lineman or a corner again, depending on who it is. I mean, Asante Samuel Jr. from Florida State may be at 34. But also, I think you could be looking at, uh, you know, Creed Humphrey, the center He's a good player. From, uh, from Oklahoma, and also Wyatt Davis, the guard from Ohio State. So I wouldn't be shocked, John, to see them pick two offensive linemen with those first two picks or an offensive lineman and a cornerback. Those are the two positions I think they're going to target early. Well, they got to try to give Zach Wilson a better chance than they gave to, to Sam Darnold. So we look forward to seeing it. Scotty, good stuff, my friend. We appreciate it. Thanks, John. Always appreciate talking to you, brother. And now we head over to pick number three in our 2021 Giants Huddle Mock Draft. He was with us last year. He joins us again. He is Matt Barrows. He covers the San Francisco 49ers for The Athletic. Matt, thanks a lot for being with us again this year. You're very welcome. I hope I uh, nailed it last uh, last year. I think it was Javon Kinlaw with the uh, the first pick for the 49ers. Yeah, in fact, I actually looked that up right now. Yeah, last year <laughs> you did. You actually predicted that they would take Ceedee Lamb at number thirteen. Oh wow! Now I'm embarrassed. I've got egg on my face. <laughs> Kinlaw in, in our draft last year, by the way. Let me see. Where did he actually end up going? Uh, no, you know what? Don't you don't have egg on your face because Javon Kinlaw was off the board in our mock draft. He had gone to the Panthers at seven, so that's not uh-huh. your fault. Yes, yes. So CD Lamb probably, uh, you know, they ended up taking um, Brandon Ayuk, a receiver, later in the first round, and I think they said uh, they had CD Lamb and Ayuk rated very similarly. So that that may have actually been the pick had the. Had the draft started out uh, the way your mock did. Yes, and by the way, I have written down that you had their major needs a defensive tackle and wide receiver. So that is not a surprise, by the way. Um, oh, by the way, 
You have I have in parentheses here. How about that? I w- he would have taken Kinlaw or Brown if they were available. So I have it written down. I have it on paper. All right. Yeah, I love it. Great notes. Good <laughs> note-taking skills you got there. I, I do have that on my Excel spreadsheet, believe it or not. And then we, we're not going to the second round this year, but you also had uh, them taking Ezra Cleveland at number 31. So I have to bring you back down to earth on that one. Sorry. Yeah, right. There was no Ezra in, uh, in San Francisco last year, for sure. All right. Uh, let's go to this year. Matt, uh, this is kind of where the draft starts. We know they're going quarterback. The first two picks, we kind of knew exactly who they were picking. We think we know the position. We don't know the player. So on the clock for the 2021 Giants Huddle Mock Draft is Matt Barrow selecting for the San Francisco 49ers. Yeah, I'm going to go with uh, a quarterback. Uh, Ohio State's Justin Fields in this spot. And I know the um, the hot pick is, is Mac Jones. Um, here and, and that very well could be, but I just think that Justin Fields' upside is so much greater. Uh, and when you've got uh, Jimmy Garoppolo on the on the roster already, uh, it gives you some leeway. I mean, if you don't think that Fields um, is is your day one starter, that's okay. Uh, you can you can start um, Jimmy Garoppolo and bring Fields along. Fields is. I mean, you watch some of his games from last season. Uh, the Nebraska game, the Clemson game, they're spectacular games. I mean, it's a lot to like there. Uh, you know, uh, bombs with his arm, uh, buying time with his feet, um, picking up yards with his legs. Uh, that's the type of upside that is, is all the rage in the NFL right now. So, I mean, if you're an NFL franchise and you're looking for the next Patrick Mahomes, to me, this is the, the closest guy in, in the draft to him. I'm not saying he'll, he will be Mahomes, but he gives you a lot of the same positives, a lot of the same upside. So uh, that's my guess anyway. Um, I, I'm probably wrong, but uh, that's, uh, that, that would be a nice scenario, and I think a lot of 49ers fans would be happy with it. By the way, Matt, I, we did our little own mock draft on one of our shows here last week, and I had this pick, and I also selected Justin Fields, and my reasoning was the exact same uh, as yours was. And I guess, one, this is definitely Shanahan's pick, not Lynch's, I would imagine. And part two of the question is, how do you think Shanahan's view of the quarterback position and what's important has evolved? Because you saw one of his buddies, McVay, decide he did not want just a guy that can you know make good decisions and make plays and structures in, in Jared Goff, and he wanted something more than that in a guy like Stafford, who obviously can do a lot more you know, when things break down. So how do you think Shanahan's view of what he needs out of a quarterback to win has changed, or is he really still just looking for that you know Matt Ryan-style quarterback? It's, it's the essential question. I mean, and, and the answer to that question answers who they take. Um, Shanahan has said over and over again since he's gotten here in 2017, listen, there are only... At any given point, there are only, say, and he, he sort of changes this number, but uh, it's usually around a half a dozen, six elite quarterbacks in the league. They're very hard to find, and, and most teams whiff when they try to find one of those. So you might as well be content with taking a guy that just can really run your offense uh, very well, which would be in this draft, Mac Jones, um, and 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 not um, go crazy trying to find one of these elite guys. You're they're, they're too rare. That that's sort of been the upshot. Well, with that attitude though, he allowed a couple of uh, really elite quarterbacks, Mahomes, 
and Deshaun Watson um, to slip by him in, in 2017, a, a year that the 49ers were looking for uh, a quarterback. And, and the 49ers ended up waiting until the third round and, and took C.J. Beathard, who's no longer uh, part of the team, uh, with, with the thinking that, okay, you know what, Kirk Cousins might be available next year in free agency, so let's just wait on Cousins. So that's that's the question. Will Will, will that lessen... Um, kind of affect him and 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 sort of uh, prompt him to go after uh, an elite guy, a guy with an elite arm, and you know with with escape ability and, and running ability and all that stuff. Um, I don't know the answer to that. <laughs> We're going to find <laughs> out on the 29th. But that's the essential question. The the other part of it, that is that Kyle Shanahan grew up on the sideline, watching his dad uh, first in San Francisco coach Steve Young. Nope. Uh, and then Coach John Elway, and these were two guys who who had wheels, who had great arms, but who also could move. So to me, that's the 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 Shanahan prototype right there. Um, it hasn't been the Kyle Shanahan prototype, but boy, you w- you would have thought that Kyle Shanahan grew up watching that and, and really had an appreciation for a guy who could do both, and that's why. I think a lot of fans uh, are, are hoping it is Fields or Trey Lance with that number three pick. All right, this is my final question and follow-up, because I've seen a lot of people think that Lance might be the pick because you have Garoppolo there. He said he's our starter this year. You can develop him. I'm having trouble, and I haven't, I haven't done super in-depth tape study on these guys, but I've done enough. What do you think would be the argument for going with Lance over Fields? Because to me, their tools are very similar. I don't think either one has a huge advantage in terms of arm. I think Fields is actually probably a little bit faster than he is in terms of being an athlete. Fields has more experience as a starter. I think he's a more accurate thrower. So what would, in your opinion, and I'm sure you've heard this argument from all directions a million times by now as you've talked about this pick for you know, a month plus since the trade, what would be the argument for Lance over Fields? Well, Lance ran a pro-style offense. I mean, you you watch uh, North Dakota State, and you sometimes see sure. a fullback out there, and you're like, what the heck is that position out there, that that big guy behind the quarterback, number 44? Um, the 49ers use a fullback, too. They're, you know, they're one of the the, the last of, uh, of their breed in using a fullback. So, um, it would be an easier evaluation, I think, for, for Kyle Shanahan because Fields, I mean, uh, Lance is doing a lot of the things that he'd ask him to. Um, and I, I don't know this, but this is what you hear. Um, it's that Lance is a, is a really smart guy. I I've mean, heard that he, too, yeah. Yeah, and, and he you know, called the protections. He did the mic point. He did a lot of things at um, North Dakota State. And we all sort of look down our nose at North Dakota State and say, oh, the caliber of competition is not very good. That's a sophisticated program. I mean, sure. um, that's a you know a a very well run program, well run offense, and and Lance ran it uh, and ran it to perfection in 2019. So th- those are the things. And, and I've also heard that Lance um, sees the field better. Now I have no idea. I can't tell from watching. You know, uh, games, and I've watched all of these guys' games. Um, I just can't tell 
whether he's better at, at seeing the field than than uh, than Fields is. Well, so and, you know, Matt, that's the thing. Like, unless you know what the call is and what yeah. the guys and where he's supposed to go, I think it is hard to from our situation now. Coaches who understand these offenses inside and out, they can have a come to a real conclusion. But I think a lot of these people that that seem to make these statements, I don't think people like us have enough information no. to be able to say that with any sort of certainty. Absolutely not, and I'm certainly not saying that with any certainty. Oh, but that, I know that's that. something I know that you you do hear. You're asking me why would the, what would be a reason no, for taking Lance over sure. Fields, and that's you know that would be the reason that Shanahan has reached that that very conclusion. Um, I mean, again, when I watch Fields, some of those games are absolutely spectacular. I mean, and and there there are some clunkers in there, but you know, Lance has clunkers too. Uh, Matt Jones has some clunkers as well. I watched a, a Trey Lance game where you know his team wins nine to nothing. Um, it's a it's a hard game to watch. Uh, not not a lot of offense, and he's not hitting a lot of passes. Um, so you know all these guys uh, have some some bad tape. Um, but um, like I said, Fields' tape Fields' great tape is just out of this world. It's spectacular, and, and uh, I didn't really see quite that with uh, the other guys. Matt, great insight. We really appreciate it as always, and we'll talk to you next year for another uh, mock draft. All right. You will have to uh, you know, grade me uh, a year from now on, on how I did, but um, yeah, thanks for having me on. All right, now we switch gears, and this, folks, is where the draft really starts. We all kind of knew three quarterbacks were going to go in the first three picks. Maybe we didn't know which one. We found out Justin Fields was the one that went to the 49ers, not Mac Jones, courtesy of Matt Barrows. But here's where things get interesting, and who better than to get interesting with is D'Orlando Ledbetter. He covers the Atlanta Falcons, the best beat writer on that beat for the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. D, now this is where things get interesting and get fun, because I really think the Falcons have a lot of options here for where they can go at number four, or do you think maybe one talent stands out that they can't say no to? No, they'll have some options here. They've studied all the quarterbacks, so Trey Lance is... uh up for them, uh, Kyle Pitts, the big tight end, who some consider is the best player in the draft, or second best player behind Trevor Lawrence, of course. And then you got a need-based pick, Penny Solo, the big tackle out of Oregon. He can help stabilize the offensive line and help protect Matt Ryan, who's getting into his later years in the league. How much consideration do you think they are giving to a quarterback, D? I know Matt Ryan's 36. They just redid his contract, so they, it's going to be difficult to cut him for the next two years. You know, who knows when they're going to be picking this high again. What do you think the calculation here is with the quarterback position? Well, they want to uh, stabilize the franchise for the foreseeable future. It's a pick with, you know, 10 years in mind down the road, uh, hoping not to be back up there. But it also would be a pick that ignores the fact that the offensive line has been pretty porous. They've sacked uh, Matt Ryan's been sacked over 150 times the last four years, last three years, and they haven't been able to run the football. So uh, you would be ignoring some needs uh, on the offensive line, uh, running back, uh, no pass rushers. You just got rid of all four of your safeties. Uh, so while you uh, you know, one look to the future, you have a team that is de- deficient in talent, and you'll be bypassing the opportunity to elevate that talent by taking a quarterback here with the fourth pick. 
right, before we get to the pick, how much of a field D do you have for this new regime, both coach and front office, in terms of how they want to build this thing out and what their timeline is? Yeah, getting there, getting there. It's been a lot of work uh, studying uh, what they did with their former teams and so forth. And uh, Arthur Smith, of course, is a tight ends coach by trade coming up uh, under Mike Mullarkey. So it's going to be hard for him to pass on Pitt. Uh, you know, Terry Fontenot working with Mickey Loomis in, in New Orleans and then Jeff Ireland the last couple years. Uh, that's an interesting uh, group. They've had some hits. They've had some wild hits and some wild misses in their draft, thinking about Marcus Davenport there. Uh, so that, uh, you know, he's not afraid to gamble, whereas Ireland is a instincts, football instincts guy over measurables who – you know, he was a kicker in college, so, you know, not surprising that he would have that uh, mentality. So we're trying to put that all together and see, you know, how this collaboration is going to work here in Atlanta. Well, D has collaborated with himself, and now he has decided on who the Falcons are going to select with the fourth overall pick in the 2021 Giants Huddle Mock Draft. D, the floor is yours. Yes, and uh, one other thing. He said he's going to take the best player available. And right here, right now, at the fourth pick, the best player on the board is Florida tight end Kyle Pitts. That'll be our pick in the Giants mock draft 2021. So, D, just give me a, a picture here because I look from the outside in and you have Matt Ryan, Julio Jones, Calvin Ridley, and Kyle Pitts. And look, trust me, no one knows better than me that watched Eli Manning be a pincushion for six or seven straight years after the Giants' last Super Bowl. The offensive line is, is something you have to get fixed. But just your vision of what this offense could look like with Kyle Pitts in the mix. It'll, it'll look pretty much like Tennessee, you know. Um... Uh, when Arthur Smith was there, the tight ends played over 200 snaps. He'll put two of them out there. Um, I look for him to fortify the line and the running back position later on in the draft. And, uh, you know, they'll be throwing a lot of play-action play passes to Calvin Ridley and Julio Jones down the field off of uh, whoever his Derek uh, Brown replacement is. So, yeah, a lot of power, a lot of deep field passing off of play-action, and a lot of running. So, uh, you know, Kyle Pitts, so he'll have to get better with his blocking, and so will Hayden Hurst. But Arthur Smith features the tight ends and likes to take the edges off of the defense with him. So we're going to see more of that uh, Tennessee Titans power, West Coast power here with Arthur Smith and the Atlanta Falcons. And then very quickly, D, you mentioned it in your last answer briefly. The Falcons pick again at 35, a few picks before the Giants' second-round pick. What do you think will be the priorities for Atlanta with that selection if they do go with Kyle Pitts at number one? Well, they'll uh, have an opportunity there. Um, you know, you have to run him back and don't slip. If Najee Harris and uh, Travis Etienne don't slip to 35, they'll have an opportunity to, to address the pass rush or take the best offensive lineman on the board, too. Uh, some of the pass rushers, uh, they, they're slipping right now. And uh, I don't know if they're going to slip into the third round, but you might have a good one sitting there at 35, or you take one of those big linemen that could come in here and help stabilize the pocket for Matt Ryan. D, good stuff, my friend. We appreciate the time. Get back to it and enjoy the draft, my friend. All right, John, thank you very much. Take care. Have a great day.
And now we move to pick number five in the 2021 Giants Huddle Mock Draft. And we're joined by Dan Hort. He's the play-by-play man for the Cincinnati Bengals. And Dan, you joined us last year. You had a pretty easy decision picking first overall. <laughs> a little bit trickier this year, my friend. It is. We definitely knew what the Bengals were going to do months in advance last year. This year, they had three very compelling choices. One is now off the board since the Falcons took Kyle Pitts. But that still leaves Cincinnati in a great position because, really, for months this year, most Bengals fans have been either Team Sewell or Team Chase, trying to decide between the offensive lineman from Oregon, Panay Sewell, or wide receiver Jamar Chase from LSU. Yeah, and Dan, i got to tell you, I think there's a really good argument for both of these players. It, you know, you, you you pick Sewell because you think you can get a wide receiver later. Joe Burrow's coming off a knee injury. You want to protect the kid. I totally get that. But then, you know, how much of a drop-off is there from Jamar Chase to that second and third round receiver? And it is a fairly deep offensive line class, too. You signed Riley Reef in the offseason. You have Jonah Williams. How much do you think this team, considering who they might be able to get in round two, will impact who their pick is here, or is this just simply which player has the highest grade, that's where we're going? John, that's a tremendous way of discussing this, because I do think when you look at this draft, maybe more than any other in recent memory for the Bengals, you have to look at it as the first two picks and the overall value as opposed to just the first pick, because I've gone over this time and time again. If you go O-lineman first, wide receiver second, is the overall value below wide receiver first, offensive lineman second. Now, fortunately for the Bengals, every draft guru you talk to will tell you that the two deepest position groups in this particular draft are offensive line and wide receiver. So in that sense, the Bengals have a glaring need at both, and they're going to be able to get a good lineman, maybe more than one, and a good wide receiver. The question is, which order do they do it? Yeah, and I think the question, too, Dan, that I have, and I've been kind of going around in my head, and I'm sure you have a good answer for me, do the Bengals feel like they have to come away with a guy they can plug and play at tackle? Or are they happy to bring in a guy that you feel good about plugging and playing this year at guard, and then maybe he'll grow into that tackle role and replace Reef at right tackle down the road? Their position is when you are choosing fifth in the draft, that player, regardless of position, is plug-and-play. When you are drafting that high, you are not grooming him for a future role. You are expecting to plug him in right away. I guess the possible exception to that would be if you have a veteran quarterback and he's going to briefly be an understudy behind the veteran. But aside from that, at any other position drafting fifth, that guy is going to play right away. So specifically tackle or guard. If they select Panay Sewell, the tackle from Oregon, they would play him for one season at guard. I think that would be the plan since Riley Reef only signed for one year. Riley would play right tackle. Sewell would play either left or right guard. And then the following year, he would kick out the tackle. And that is a very realistic possibility. Yeah, so I, I guess the reason I asked it the way I did, because if you want to wait until the second round to pick your offensive lineman, right, I think you probably feel great about whatever guy you're going to get in that second round if you want to play guard. But maybe you're not so comfortable about plugging and playing him at a right tackle right away, but you're telling me that they have pretty high confidence that they can play Riley Reef at right tackle this year, and they're going to be fine with him out there. They signed him for $7.5 million. That's the most <laughs> money that uh, any tackle that changed teams is getting this year. Wow, is so that true? Definitely- 
It is. Some wow. of the guys that re- re-signed with their own teams are getting, you know, far more than sure. that. Trent Williams, most notably, is getting more than $20 million. But there weren't many good tackles that changed teams, and that's one of the reasons why you would consider taking Panay Sewell. When you have a premier tackle, you do not let him get away, as, particularly with a second contract, sometimes the third. They're hard to get, and teams that have them hold on to them forever. You do not get a premier tackle in free agency from another team. So that's one of the arguments, a pretty compelling one, quite honestly, for why the Bengals should select Panay Sewell instead of Jamar Chase. And how much do you think Joe Burrow is on the phone lobbying for Chase, or does he want the protection? Because, look, I mean, you go back two years ago. People talk about the year Devontae Smith had. Look, the year Jamar Chase had with Joe Burrow two years ago, same deal. I mean, they were just as dominant. How much do you think that's going to play into this decision, the connection that those two guys had at LSU in 2019? It's a factor, and it's a big factor, but not because Joe Burrow is lobbying for Jamar Chase. Obviously, the organization reached out to him to pick his brain and get as much intel about Jamar as they possibly could. What's he like as a teammate? What's his work ethic like? Is he a leader? Et cetera. But it's the built-in chemistry. That's the real factor, particularly if, once again, you've got a limited offseason in terms of reps between the quarterbacks and the wide receivers. How about being able to get a guy that your quarterback played with for two seasons, and the last time they were teammates he had 84 catches for nearly 1,800 yards and 20 touchdowns, a guy that looks like a fullback but runs a 4-3-8. So the Joe Joe Burrow-Jamar Chase Bond is a huge factor, maybe the one that tips the scales in Jamar Chase's favor. Well, it's a really tough decision, but it's a decision I think any team would love to be in, choosing between Panay Sewell and Jamar Chase. So let's get you on the clock here, Dan, with the fifth overall pick in the 2021 Giants Huddle Mock Draft. Dan Horde representing the Cincinnati Bengals, selects? The Cincinnati Bengals select LSU wide receiver Jamar Chase, reuniting him with his Heisman Trophy-winning quarterback, Joe Burrow. If you had the hat on, the GM hat, I mean, (laughs) is this the pick you would make too, Dan? It is not. I am Team Sewell. If it were up to me, I would pick the offensive lineman, and I can give you a ton of reasons why statistically. I mean, first and foremost, Tom Brady in Tampa Bay's playoff games last year, so not just the Super Bowl, their four playoff games got hit a total of 16 times. In week three last year, Joe Burrow got hit 18 times (laughs) by the Philadelphia Eagles. Uh, The the sight of him on the back of that cart in the Bengals' 10th game against Washington was demoralizing. I've got a Bengals fan buddy that lives up the street named Dave who tells me, and I believe him, that he turned off the TV and did not watch another Bengals snap for the rest of the year because he was so heartbroken for Joe Burrow. Uh, he was sacked 32 times in nine and a half games, 10th most in the NFL. He was hit nearly 80 times in 10 games. I want to protect the kid, and I do think it is a deep offensive line draft. I'm certainly not going to be devastated if they go chase and then an offensive lineman. But I don't want a good offensive lineman, a competent offensive lineman. I want the best offensive lineman. You want Anthony Munoz is what you're telling me. Well, (laughs) it's not going to be that good because nobody in the history of of the game has been that good. But he's a 331-pound man who looks svelte. I have never seen a physique like that. He's 6'5", 331. His mobility is incredible. I think if if you go to YouTube, type in Panay Sewell, and start watching videos, it's offensive line coach porn. 
That's how impressive Panay Sewell is to me. So if it were me, I'm taking the offensive lineman, but I do think the Bengals are going to go chase first, offensive lineman with a sixth pick in the second round. And by the way, Panay Sewell did that at 19 years old, playing against 22-year-olds too, which is kind of the most amazing and, thing. Yeah, he, do, he doesn't turn 21 until October 9th. So, you know, some people have hit him for the fact that he's got 33 and a quarter inch arms. His arms might still be growing. I mean, it's possible to continue growing at the age of 20. I don't know how likely that is, but it's certainly possible. So, Panay Sewell is a genetic freak, and I would like to pair him with Jonah Williams for the next 10 years as your uh, anchors at left and right tackle for the Bengals and not have to worry about that position for a long time. Dan, awesome stuff, my friend. Good luck. Enjoy the drama, and we'll see what Cincinnati does. Looking forward to it, John. Thanks for having me on. And now we're getting into the meat of this, folks. Some interesting picks off the board. Another interesting one to come and to make the next pick for the Miami Dolphins is Armando Salguero. He covers the Dolphins for the Miami Herald. He's a columnist for them. Armando, you were with us last year. The Dolphins selected Tua. This year, of course, it gets a little bit more interesting. You're trying to put guys around Tua. So I guess let's get right to the pick, and then we can talk about the reasoning. With the sixth overall pick in the Giants huddle mock draft, the Miami Dolphins select. The Miami Dolphins go back to Alabama, and the same huddle as what Tua was directing uh, last year. And they are picking wide receiver Devontae Smith of the Crimson Tide. Now, I was reading your article um, this morning and getting ready for this, and you made the point that you don't think that 166-pound weigh-in in Indy at the medical recheck is going to impact their decision-making here. Correct. More importantly, the Dolphins don't think that. Uh, General Manager Chris Greer spoke, as a matter of fact, yesterday about how the NFL game is different now. Wide receivers are not uh, beat up as they leave the line of scrimmage. They are not mugged downfield, and there are rules in place to prevent them from, you know, sustaining head-to-head, uh, helmet-to-helmet hits. So a wide receiver who is smaller won't have the same durability issues or isn't expected to have the same durability issues in 2021 that maybe they may have had in 2010 or 2012 or even 2015. So the game is made for smaller guys or is made easier for smaller guys now to last anyway. How much of a consideration do you think Jalen Waddell was? Is the reason you think they'll go with Smith because of Smith's better production, Waddle's injury? Is it a better fit with the wide receiver core that the Dolphins have? Because I think, depending on who you talk to, a lot of different people like Waddle over Smith or Smith over Waddle. Why do you think uh, the Dolphins would go with Devontae over Jalen? Right. So Jalen is more a downfield kind of threat, uh, you know, a, a speedster, a burner, whereas Devontae Smith is a... Um, He's a quantity guy, whereas the other guy, uh, Jalen Waddle, is going to catch you know catch you seventy yard passes. Sure, Devontae Smith is going to catch you seventy passes. So 
Um, I think that the Dolphins see that as a plus for Tua. They need that. Uh, and I'm not saying that Devontae Smith is slow now. He he is <laughs> fairly fairly fast. I think he's going to run if he ever does officially. He didn't at Alabama Pro Day in the 4-4s. It's just that Jalen Waddell is a 4-3 guy. And so what is going to happen is, uh, you know, they, they're going with the quicker guy, and they're going with the probably the better route runner. I think the Dolphins want to run a more precise offense as opposed to a more vertical offense. All right, two more quick questions, Armando. I appreciate the time. One, do you think that, and this is a two-parter, how much of a consideration here is offensive line? With Penny Sewell, do they trust Robert Hunt over at right tackle? I know, obviously, they drafted Austin Jackson last year. They like him. And I know you mentioned this. Would the Dolphins, you think, consider a trade down if both Pitts and Chase are gone? So, Penny Sewell is going to be an outstanding offensive lineman and an outstanding left tackle in the NFL. But the Dolphins invested in both left and right tackle last year uh, and early. They drafted, like you said, Austin Jackson in the first round and Robert Hunt in the second round. At some point, you need to give Tua some weapons to score touchdowns uh, after you've already handled the protection part in last year's draft. Now, are they open to trading down? Yes, of course. And Chris Greer has said as much. The, The question is, when they are on the clock, will a team probably a quarterback needy team, like maybe the Denver Broncos, will they present something to the Dolphins that Miami simply can't refuse? That's uh, that's yet to be seen. All right, and then finally, the Dolphins have a lot of draft picks. They pick another time in the first round, then they pick again in the second round before the Giants go. Assuming they do go with that offensive weapon here, Armando, what do you think their priorities are going to be with those other two picks in the first round and then at the top of the second? Right. Well, you know, they're, they need a running back. I'm not sure that they're going to do that at number 18, but they absolutely will be drafting a running back within the first two rounds, and they've got, you know, the two first-round picks and two second-round picks. So they're going to be picking a running back, maybe a Najee Harris, uh, maybe a Travis Etienne or a Javante Williams. So one of those guys, perhaps, and... I wouldn't discount them trying to find a pass rusher at some point either because they got they released uh, Kyle Van Noy this year, and there goes six sacks, and they traded Shaq Lawson, and there goes four and a half sacks. So they have to replace ten and a half sacks uh, before the start of the season is, is, uh, is upon us. Tremendous, Armando. We really appreciate it. Get back to work. Enjoy the drama of the draft this year, my friend. Appreciate you. All right, everybody. We move on to pick number seven in our 2021 Giants Huddle Mock Draft. Very quickly, just to recap, the Jacksonville Jaguars selected Trevor Lawrence first overall. Zach Wilson to the Jets at number two. Justin Fields, the quarterback to San Francisco at number three. The Atlanta Falcons take the first non-quarterback in the draft. Kyle Pitts, tight end out of Florida. The Cincinnati Bengals go Jamar Chase over Penny Sewell, thanks to Dan Horde at number five. Then the Dolphins select... 
Tua Tagovailoa's former teammate, Devonta Smith, out of Alabama at number six. And that gets us to pick number seven. And joining us again, just like he did last year for our mock draft, is Jeff Risden. He covers the Lions for the Lions Wire. And, of course, he covers the NFL draft for Real GM as well. Jeff, welcome back, my friend. How are you? Uh, it, it's great to be, uh, great to almost have the draft here. And by the way, that this draft board fell, it's a great time to be a Detroit Lions uh, fan and picker for this mock. I'll tell you what. <laughs> I, it absolutely is. And last year, you did pick Jeffrey Okuda in our mock correctly at number three to the Lions. Not a huge surprise, but you did get the pick right. Got to give you credit for that, Jeff. So before we make the pick, give me a feel for the new hierarchy in Detroit what the approach is, the timeline, how these guys think about football. How have you been able to put these puzzle pieces together with all their new additions that are playing their roles, how they're going to interact together, and all that stuff? Yeah, it, it, and it's a, a very new crew. Uh, Brad Holmes is the new general manager. He comes from the Los Angeles Rams. He was the director of collegiate scouting for many years there. He brought along Ray Agnew with him. Uh, they've also added in John Dorsey, the former Chiefs and Browns general manager, as a senior advisor, and he's absolutely playing a critical role in this draft. Uh, and then they brought in Chris Spielman, um, my personal favorite football player ever and a Lions legend. Uh, he is the special assistant to the president of the team. Uh, we're not real sure how much input he has on the draft, but we're hopeful that he has some because uh, he's, uh, he's, he's royalty in Detroit. <laughs> so uh, how they figure it out, it, 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 it's a good, good guess. Uh, we're uh, we're looking at what they do with the Rams, what Dorsey has done in his past deals, uh, and we're we're trying to figure out, you know, uh, where's the emphasis going to be? Is it going to be on the offensive line? Is it going to be a wide receiver? Do they need to build their defense? Uh, because the defense was terrible last year. Yeah, there's there's a lot of moving pieces going on in Detroit, and we're still still wondering where all those puzzle pieces are and how they fit going into 2021. Yeah, you haven't mentioned Dan Campbell and how you think he wants to try to build a football team, which obviously he's doing in conjunction with this front office. Oh, yeah. Um, he's famous for his press conferences, and they are a treat, let me tell you. <laughs> they are a very welcome change uh, from the Matt Patricia era. Uh, they're fun. They're engaging. He wants kneecap fighters. He wants guys who are going to go out uh, and, and have no, uh, no apologies about trying to beat the other team in submission. Uh, he, he's also uh, offered a, an interesting bit on, on wide receivers. Um, he said, get freaking open, um, and, and that's, that's, that's his mantra for his wide receivers, which is very different than what we've had in Detroit. So, yeah, it, it, it's, a, it's a culture shock, to be honest with you, and it was a needed culture shock. Uh, this team was, was boring by design, uh, and it was, it was off-putting to fans. It was off-putting to those of us who cover the team. It was certainly off-putting to the players. So we're ready to have the, the, the positive energy and the you know, go-get-em attitude that Campbell and the, the new staff bring. All right, so Jeff, let's let's do the pick, and then we'll react to it. With the seventh pick in the 2021 Giants Huddle mock draft, Jeff Risden representing the Detroit Lions selects. Oh, man, there's so many good choices here that I like. My top three choices are all here. Uh, I, I think they will go with Panay Sewell, the offensive tackle from Oregon. Okay, if Sewell is not there and just Rashawn Slater is there, would you pick Slater, or do you think Sewell is special, and that's why you think they would go in that direction if he's on the board? Uh, I do think they would have a differentiation on Sewell. I actually like Slater a little better uh, myself, uh, and I wouldn't have any qualms about taking him there, but I think they don't see him in that e exact vein. 
Um, he's he's a little bit of a different type of football player, and Sewell more fits the Dan Campbell, you know, the kneecap biting mantra. Uh, and his 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 high end potential is really difficult to ignore too. Um, he definitely has the highest ceiling of any of any tackle in this class. Um, it's not a pressing need. Um, they're, they're great at left tackle. Taylor Decker's a very good left tackle. Right tackle, they're okay with Tyrell Crosby. But uh, if you got a chance to, to lock down your off, your bookend offensive tackles for the next four years, which is how long Decker's under under contract, that that's that's massive for a rebuilding team that has some uncertainties at quarterback. Now, if any of the playmakers. That's well. I shouldn't say not named because only three of them have gone. If Devontae Smith is there, does that change your formula? Or if Pitts or Chase somehow get there, would that change the formula for Detroit? I think Chase does. Yes, uh, I, I think he has the, the 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 kind of game that I think would play very well with Jerry Goff in twenty twenty one, and Goff will be the starter in twenty twenty one. But he's he's also just a, a very safe high end pick. Uh, you're talking about a guy that, that's in the vein, but not not identical, but in the vein of a Julio Jones or an AJ Green. Obviously, sure. he's not as big, but he plays that way. Um, if you got a chance to get that, uh, that that's really tough to overlook. So, I guess my question for you, because based on the way you describe this front office and my work on this front office too, this doesn't seem like a group that would take Devontae Smith or Jalen Waddle there. If there's a big offensive lineman there that's graded highly, or a defensive player that you really like. Yeah, and, and defense is tough because they, they certainly have needs. Their, their safety room right now is, is, is frankly, it's embarrassing. Um, they just signed Dean Marlowe from the, from the, the Buffalo Bills, um, where, where he was an okay number three safety. He's number one in the depth chart in Detroit right now. It, oh boy. It, it's bad. Um, they, <laughs> it, it's rough. And, and they want to play a three safety look. Um, and they have about half of an NFL safety right now. So uh, that, that's certainly a pressing need, but there's nobody that you take in the top 20 at safety. So uh, that, that sort of sort of throws a monkey wrench into that. They, they could use a defensive lineman. They could use an edge. They could certainly use an off-ball linebacker. But uh, based on the history of, of how the Rams drafted and how Dorsey drafted in his various stops, that's not a, that's not a priority position in their defense. Um, I, I know there's a lot of Lions fans. Uh, in fact, if you're in a poll, I would guess that Micah Parsons would probably be the most popular fan choice. I just don't see this regime valuing that position enough that they would even consider him there. Would they consider a cornerback? Because to me, that's the only other spot where you could make an argument, right, Jeff, where a defensive player could be worth the bang for your buck here? Yeah, and Patrick Sertain is certainly worth the gamble there. Um, I think he's as good, if not better, than Okuda was last year as a prospect coming out. Okuda went number three overall. Didn't exactly go that well as a rookie, but he's certainly still got a very high ceiling. Um, the air was still pointing up for him um, in a more uh, more NFL-ready scheme, I guess would be the best way to say it, NFL-friendly scheme. Uh, if they could lock that down, that'd be great. Um, it, but and, and if one of them could play safety or if they could move a money or a warrior, he's a promising young outside corner uh, with some size. Maybe he could play in that free safety slot, safety role. Um, that, that would certainly be something that I would consider too, but I... I, I tend to think that they like the depth in this draft at, at defensive back, so I don't think they're going to necessarily tap into that right away. So, Jeff, if you were making this pick, would you also pick Sewell, or would you go in a different direction? I would very, I'd be very tempted to take uh, Jalen Waddle because his, his speed and his, his ability to make plays, um, you, you don't get that every day. Uh, I, I equate it to the way that Will Fuller impacted the Houston Texans. They were a really good offense. But when they got Will Fuller in, it fundamentally changed the way that defenses had to play them 
even though Fuller couldn't catch, they still had to honor it. Uh, Waddle can catch, uh, and he's just lethal with the ball in his hands. Uh, I, I really like that idea. He, he's very appealing there. Yes, his size is a concern. I'll tell you what, I'm not a huge Jared Goff fan long-term, and if I get a chance to take Trey Lance here, it's really tough for me to not take that because it, it's a perfect situation for Lance who needs reps, he needs coaching, he needs experience. They don't have to play him this year. They have Jared Goff in place. Goff is fine as a bridge quarterback for the future. Uh, if you tell me in 2022 that, that, that Lance is ready then, that's great. If, if he needs another year, you still got Goff uh, under contract. Um, quite difficult to get out of that contract, too, until after that season. Uh, I, I think it's the perfect place for Trey Lance to go. I don't know if the regime feels that way or not, but I do. <laughs> so you don't get the sense that the regime is thinking potential quarterback here? I, I, It's hard for me to see them taking the quarterback this year. They have two first-round picks next year and the year after that from acquiring golf. Uh, without looking too far ahead into the crystal ball, it's tough to know how they feel about the quarterbacks in those classes. But yeah, remember, Brad Holmes is the guy who was part of the regime that really liked Jerry Goff as the number one overall pick. They are absolutely going to give him every chance to prove that he can be the long-term solution in Detroit. And getting him better weapons, getting him better protection, building a better team around it, it makes a lot more sense for this team this year than it does to take the quarterback that might be his successor in the future. All right, two more questions, Jeff, and we appreciate the time. How much do you think the Lions are going to be working the phones up until draft day? Obviously, they're not going to make a trade before draft day because you don't know who's going to be there at 7, right? So you're not going to pull the trigger on that until you get there. But how much do you think, given the long-term outlook on this rebuild is, they all got six-year contracts, all these guys that they brought in this year, right? Will they be, you think, looking to trade down? Because if I'm not mistaken, you guys only have six picks in this year's draft where they're going to try to maybe move down, acquire more picks to help the long-term vision of this franchise. And where do you think they'd be looking to, to move? How far back would they be willing to move? All that stuff. Yeah, it's a good question. I do think they're they're absolutely going to listen uh, to get more picks. They've been, uh, this regime in the past, both both Holmes and Dorsey have been very good at, at scouring the middle rounds, especially for skill position talent. Uh, they're, and, and this is a good draft to need sure. middle round wide receivers, running backs, things like that. So they they have the ability to do that. As far as how far they fall back, New England at 15, and, and in this specific scenario with Mac Jones still on the board and with Trey Lance still on the board, that, that's certainly an appealing trade partner right there. Uh, Denver at 9 certainly makes some sense. Washington even at 19, that, that's probably about as far as they would fall. I know Chicago at 20 is, should be looking up to get a quarterback, but I'm not sure that the Lions would want to trade within, within the division on that. But yeah, getting, getting an extra day two pick in this draft I think would be very appealing, and also some for the future. Uh, where they can they can really control the 2022 draft if they want with their own pick with the Rams pick and picking up another one. That's uh, that, that that's a way to sit in the catbird seat for for a very critical draft. Once you realize, you know, you go through your first year, you realize who's here, who belongs as part of the future, and who doesn't belong. So have a better idea of your long term needs at that point too. All right, Jeff. Final question: The Lions pick again at 41, a pick literally right before the Giants select at 42. So Giant fans would be on pins and needles, probably praying for somebody to drop to them, and the Lions will be on the board. What do you think are those pressing needs for Detroit in round two, where you think they might be, uh, they might have their eyes on? Uh, I'm looking at the safeties 
specifically uh, Trevon Morig from TCU and Richie Grant from UCF. I think I, it's very difficult to see them pass one of those two. Uh, again, this is an expansion team at safety right now. Uh, they're also an expansion team at wide receiver, unfortunately. So if they don't take one early, uh, that, that's certainly on the mix there. A guy like Rashad Bateman, Kadarius Toney, um, Elijah Moore, somebody like that certainly fits the bill too. But if, if especially if they get offense in the first round, uh, it's really tough to see them pass on a safety in the second. Jeff, good stuff, my friend. And by the way, were you surprised in terms of how those first six picks went, or is that kind of how you think the draft is going to go? I was very surprised to see Devontae Smith come off the board at number six. I, I get it. I, I like Devontae Smith, he, even at his diminutive size, but it, it's still surprising to see uh, to see him come off at six. I, I have him sort of pegged at number 12 to the Eagles in, in my own head. Uh, maybe I need to recalibrate that, huh? Do you think Penny Sewell gets by Cincinnati? Do you, because I think that's the other kind of pivot point of this draft, right? I think once you get you past Atlanta and they don't go quarterback, I think Cincinnati's interesting. Because if it's Sewell or Chase, that really could determine how the next five picks go. Oh, it absolutely does. And, and I, I do think it's one or the other. And I can make a good argument to, for them to take either one. Sure. Uh, I, I wouldn't fault anybody for taking Chase there. The chemistry that he had with Joe Burrow was phenomenal. Uh, they did sign Riley Reese, former Lions first-round pick. He's functional as your starting right tackle, I guess is, is the nice way to say it. He's an upgrade over what they had. I mean, it, it doesn't get worse than Bobby Hart. No, it does not. So, Trust me, I know. <laughs> yes, you would know. <laughs> yeah, so I, I, I get that. And, and this is a deep offensive line class. You can find starting offensive linemen on day two in this class who, who have high-end potential. Alex Spencer-Brown out of Northern Iowa is a guy that I like. You know, Sam Cosby from Texas. Dylan Radins from North North Dakota State. Liam Eikenberg. Just those, go down the list. There's, there's the million. Yeah, all those guys will be there for them at the top of the second. I think that they can, if they prioritize taking Chase there, I absolutely can see them dipping into that pool in the second. And I get that. But, yeah, that, that that's a critical pick because I do think, you know, if Sewell falls, that opens up, first off, it opens up the trade possibilities for Detroit and also for Miami, again, if they want to do it. Uh, but but uh, and then you have to factor in Rayshon Slater there too. I mean, I, I know there are teams that value him as high, if not higher, than Sewell. Um, and you're looking at the next pick on the on the clock is Carolina. They're certainly going to be interested in both of those. I don't know if that'll be the pick or not, but uh, they have to be interested there. So yeah, that 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 absolutely shakes up what happens in the next few picks. Well, we'll find out what happens, Jeff. Good stuff, my friend. We appreciate it. My pleasure. Anytime. Thanks, man. And now we go to pick number eight in the 2021 Giants Huddle, Beat Reporter Mock Draft. And joining us is Elena Getzenberg. She joins us from the Charlotte Observer, covers the Carolina Panthers. And Elena, this is a position here where a lot of people thought the Panthers would be going quarterback. Then we saw a trade a few weeks ago for Sam Darnold. Could they still be in the quarterback market here, or is that now on the back burner? Yeah, not with how the board felt to me here. <laughs> I have to say, I wasn't very, I wasn't happy, and I, I would consider a trade in a normal circumstance. Um, but I think with the, how the board has gone at with the number eight pick, um, the Carolina Panthers would take Rashawn Slater, uh, tackle out of Northwestern. Interesting. So you go tackle. I'm not surprised. Would you consider offensive tackle right now the biggest need on the Panthers roster? I think so. I mean. I, I went back and forth on this. Some the other position I debated was cornerback, um, and I think if it was an option to trade back, I would have maybe pursued that. But if they're sticking at eight based on how this board has gone, I think you know they could use a wide receiver, they could use a corner. But if one of the two tackles is there, I think 
you know, that's hard to pass up on. Even if Slater ends up being a guard, this offensive line just needs so much that I think he's hard to let go. How far back, Elena, would you be willing to go where you would still feel confident enough that you could get the quality of player you would want having a top 10 pick? Yeah, I don't think it would slide too far back. I think that, you know, that is a good point that, you know, they're only going to have those top grades on so many guys. And I think you take advantage of having a top 10 pick in the years that you have them because you hope it's not often. Sure. So I think um, for the Panthers, maybe no later than 15-16. It kind of depends how those corners go, but... I wouldn't. You get too close to twenty, and I think that's a little too far back, in my opinion. So you would say generally you're looking at offensive line, cornerback. That would kind of be your top tier, and then after that, you would think about wide receivers, and then maybe another defensive guy. Yeah, I mean, I think definitely cornerback, offensive tackle, wide receiver could be interesting as well. I definitely think that's on the table, and then in terms of quarterback. I think the only guy, if Justin Fields fell, I think that would be intriguing. Um, I mean, you never know. This time of year, there's a lot of talk. But I think the other quarterbacks, I don't think the Panthers would take at eight, unless someone like Trevor Lawrence fell. But I think, um, you know, it would have to be a specific quarterback, especially after the Sam Darnold trade. Interesting. When I think about Matt Rule, we saw them use all their draft picks last year, if I'm not mistaken, Elaine, on defense, correct? Do you mm-hmm. think that's correct? So, do you think now this year, where you only have Sam Darnold under your control for one year, maybe two if they pick up that fifth year option, is this a year now where they really are going to try to put pieces around him so they can figure out what they have so they can make a more educated decision on that position once you get through this year? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you look at this team and. Like you said, they went all defense last year. They have not made it a secret that they would like to get younger on offense um, in this year's draft. So I think they're going to go, you know, you go all defense, you got to go a little offense heavy the next year. Um, so and what you, the point about Sam Darnold is a lot of people said with the Jets, you know, he didn't have an offensive line and he didn't have weapons and all this. Well, right now the Panthers don't really have an offensive line. It's not <laughs> in a great spot. Um, so, I think they have to address offensive line in this year's draft in order to really see what they have in Sam Darnold. Otherwise, you're just putting him in another bad situation. Um, so in order to evaluate him, which I think they're going to want to do quickly, um, they have to help him out. And offensive line has to be addressed this year. And I think, I think they will address it even possibly you know, with a couple picks. Um, I think it's a very high on the need for them. So now let's just talk very quickly before we say goodbye about that second-round pick because the Panthers will pick in front of the Giants by three spots, the 39th overall pick in round number two. Irrespective of what they do in round one, where do you think that value meets need for the Panthers? It is a pretty deep receiver in an offensive line draft, so one of those guys could still be there. Where else do you think the Panthers can go in round two? Yeah, there's a couple corners that I think are at the top of, you know, assuming here they didn't, they didn't go corner in round one. There's a couple guys that I like at the top um, of the second round who I think could be there, and that would be really appealing. The other kind of sneaky position they could go high in the second round is there's a couple tight ends where this tight end class seems weird where there's like a couple guys people are high on after Kyle gets, of course, and then there's a bit of a drop-off. So I would be saying here tight end is definitely on the table in the second round um, and wide receiver as well. But like you said, it's a deep class, so – no need to jump on that if there's other guys available. Finally, when do you think we're going to see a Teddy Bridgewater move? Will it be before the draft, after the draft? 
Um, I mean, I think it's kind of depend on other teams. Um, right. I think the Panthers have been exploring a, a trade for a while here <laughs> about options. You know, right now Teddy Bridgewater's uh, people are looking into that, and it's going to depend on other teams. I mean, if teams feel like they can get a quarterback in the draft, we'll do that. So I think right now teams are evaluating their options. It's not on the Panthers' end. It's more what when other teams look side, you know, let's bring them in and all of that. So the Panthers are definitely looking into it and Petty's looking into it, but it's kind of on other teams at this point. Elena, really good stuff. We really appreciate the time. Thanks so much. Yeah, thank you. All right, let's move on to pick number nine. The first eight players all on the offensive side of the ball, the three quarterbacks, then the playmakers. Kyle Pitts, Jamar Chase, Devontae Smith, and then back-to-back offensive linemen with Penny Sewell and Rashawn Slater. That brings us to number nine, a pick that I think is another pivot point in this draft with the Denver Broncos. And making that pick for us from Nine News is Mike Kliss. And Mike what are the Broncos' thoughts here coming up at number nine? I know you guys just walked out of their press conference from their front office talking about the draft. What do you think that priority is for the Broncos here heading into the 2021 draft? Well, I think Mac Jones is the quarterback outside of the top two that they that they like the best. Uh, you guys know Pat Shermer, and Shermer's the offensive coordinator here. I, I think Shermer... Uh, you know, you'd have to change your offense, I think, for Justin Fields and and Shermer's more of a pro style play action guy. Mac Jones would fit that. Uh, I doubt Mac Jones is available at number nine, first of all, but um, that's the way she's lining up here. And uh, I don't. I think the Broncos would take Mac Jones because he's the most pro ready of. Uh, of the uh, the three the three other quarterbacks Justin Fields Trey Lance uh, Mac Jones after Zach Wilson and after Trevor Lawrence of course so I guess my question for you then Mike let's say the 49ers do not pick Justin Fields let's say they select Mac Jones and you're sitting there and you're looking yeah. at either Trey Lance or Justin Fields is it still a quarterback or then did the Broncos look elsewhere yeah I, I think in that case the Broncos would look uh, and I know your two tackles sir are off the board, Sewell and Slater. Uh, is Sertain, Sertain's still available, right? Yes, he uh, that is. Would be, uh, that would be, uh, I think that might be a pick. Uh, Micah Parsons, everyone wants the Broncos to take Micah Parsons because they need an inside linebacker for Vic Fangio's defensive scheme who can go sideline to sideline and cover a tight end. Uh, the AFC West is loaded with uh, really good tight ends. Waller from the Raiders outstanding and Kelsey of course with the Chiefs and those two guys have just uh, beat up the Broncos in the, in the last couple of years so uh, there's some questions whether Parsons is, couldn't can cover well though so um, I think Sertain is the um, is the best available player on your board that's who I would take if uh, Mac Jones was not available and um, you know and, and the fact that the two tackles uh, are also gone on your board. That's interesting. So you really think in their mind, if if it's Mac Jones and he's gone, they would go position player over one of those two other quarterbacks. That's what I think. Um, interesting. I, I don't. Yeah, that's. I, I don't. There's a chance they take Justin Fields, and and maybe if he's there at number nine, uh, you, you know, I'm sure there's going to be some wheeling 
and dealing, someone's going to really love Justin Fields. Sure. Uh, for the type of off for the type of offense they have, you know, uh, I think Fields, you know, he would have been a good fit with Carolina, with Matt Rule. Yeah, uh, I agree and with that. Brady, you know, with the, uh, you know, the college style offense, the pro style offense, though. Um, I, I think Justin Fields maybe wouldn't be as good a fit as Mac Jones. Pro-style offense, Mac Jones fits. Um, the college-style offense, Justin Fields and, and Trey, Trey Lance fits. Lance is, uh, from everything I've gathered, guys, is uh, has probably the highest ceiling of, uh, of maybe all but Trevor Lawrence, but uh, he also needs to redshirt. He's the rawest. Sure. Of the of the top five and needs to redshirt uh, this year, and frankly, uh, fr- uh, Vic Fangio can't afford a, a redshirt quarterback here. Uh, he needs to win this year, and so I think Mac Jones would help uh, in line. If not, then I think they go. I, I guys, I think they'd go position player, either tackle or uh, or certain or trade back and try to pick up some picks. Uh, and then acquire maybe a Teddy Bridgewater or a Nick Foles via the uh, the trade market. See what happens after the draft. Garner Minshew might be available after the draft. Uh, one of those type of uh, quarterbacks who are proven in the league, um, they might bring in to compete with Dre Locke or Drew Locke um, for the starting job game one of 2021. Two other quickies for you. George Payton talked today a lot about the value of trading down and acquiring extra picks. Is that a realistic scenario here? Or do you think they want to make this top 10 selection at nine? Yeah, I think, uh, I, I do think if the, if the quarterback they like, and I'm, I'm saying that Mac Jones makes the most sense. I'm, you know, I, uh, George Payton may, uh, disagree with me, but, um, uh, yeah, I think trading back makes sense because it's a five and 11 team. And they only have one second round pick and only one third round pick. And, uh, if you can pick up, uh, you know, still pick in the first round and, and add a second round pick. Um, yeah, I think, uh, I think that makes sense, uh, for the Broncos because, uh, you know, this roster is, uh, it needs steps in a lot of places. Uh, still on the defensive side, still on the offensive side, uh, besides quarterback. Um, they have some other needs. Final question. They pick again Denver at pick 40, two picks before the Giants in round two. I know you mentioned corner, uh, but mostly because of the players. What are the other big positions of need, you think, Mike, that the Broncos could try to address with that second-round pick? Yeah, inside linebacker. There's a lot of good inside linebackers there in, in the second round. There's a lot of good, strong safeties in the second round. They signed Justin Say, uh, Simmons. To a long-term deal, he's a free safety. Kareem Jackson, they brought back at a uh, at a pay cut for one year, and then they really don't have a backup at safety. Uh, I, you know, I think they'll they'll look safety uh, inside linebacker. The Kentucky guy um, uh, there, Ohio State, um, has has a inside linebacker. Uh, I think he might go there or uh, offensive tackle. Uh, Jawan James has been really iffy since the Broncos signed him two years ago, and uh, an offensive tackle uh, might be the starter position that they go for. Interesting. Mike, great stuff. We really appreciate the time. Enjoy the week heading up to the draft. Thanks a lot, guys. All right, so we're at the final pick of the top ten here. Nine players off the board. It should surprise approximately nobody. 
that not one defensive player yet off the board. The most recent pick, Mac Jones, the Denver Broncos. But I think that might change with our next, next guest. And he is Mickey Spagnola, of course, longtime reporter, covers the Dallas Cowboys for DallasCowboys.com. There's a lot of other stuff down there in the Dallas-Fort Worth area. Mickey, good to talk to you, my friend. How are you? I'm doing fine, and I would imagine that, uh, you know, as you said, that the no defensive player has gone off the board, and that would please the Cowboys, I think, very much. I don't know if they're counting on that, but I think the odds are that the way your draft has gone so far uh, is probably what they're thinking uh, at this point. Well, let me ask you this, Mickey, before you make your pick. Is there an offensive player other than Kyle Pitts that could be there at number 10. Because I'm just going to throw that into the trash bin because Giant fans keep asking, is Pitt's going to be there? And I keep telling you, no, he's not. And I think that's probably the case for the Cowboys too. Is there an offensive player, maybe an offensive lineman, that could be available at 10 that might make Dallas not select a defensive player? You know, I, I think it might give them pause. Uh, but again, I, I, as you said, I just don't think there's any way Pitts is going to be there. And I know Jerry got everybody excited when he said he was intrigued by the guy. Well, of course he's yeah, who intrigued isn't? by the guy, <laughs> right? 32 teams are intrigued by him. And uh, this past week, uh, Stephen Jones remarked about how everybody in the league knows how good this is. And he goes, and Jerry was just commenting on it, not like, okay, we're going to take this guy. And, and the only other thing that they would do there, obviously, would be an offensive lineman. But to me, you know, e even though they've had injuries on the offensive line at tackle last year, Lael Collins had his hip surgery and his rehab's going just fine. Same for Tyron Smith after the neck surgery. Uh, and, you know, if, if, these, if, if their physical evaluations of these guys are they're good to go, then if, if they draft an offensive tackle, the guy's going to have to move to play guard. And what an embarrassment of riches would you have if you have to have all first-round guys on your offensive line? Uh, so to me, there's a need for an offensive tackle like a backup swing guy, but you do that the second day or the third day. I don't think you need to do it in the first round. So to me, uh, and someone said, yeah, but Tyron Smith gets hurt, right? Well, yeah, he does. I'll take 13 games of Tyron Smith before anybody else I put out there at left tackle. Uh, so I think uh, they would probably pass on the offense, or at least I think they should pass on that offensive tackle. All right, Mick, so let's let's get the pick on the board and then talk about it with the 10th pick in the Giants Huddle 2021 mock draft, the Dallas Cowboys, represented by Mickey Spagnola Select. Boy, this is a tough one for me because I know everybody is, is saying the Cowboys are going to take Patrick Satane, uh, the cornerback from Alabama, and they do need help at cornerback. But, boy, it, deep in my heart, to me, they should take the best defensive player that's on the board. And I think the best defensive player on the board is Micah Parsons, the linebacker. Uh, I don't know what you guys think of him, uh, but I think, I think he could be just looking at his size, his speed, his instincts, uh, his, his nature. To me, he could be the next Lawrence Taylor. 
And, and that might be saying too much, but I think he's that good. Uh, now, as a reminder, Mickey, you are predicting what the Cowboys would do. This is not the I'm Mickey Spagnuolo And I'm going to what the Cowboys are going to do, not what I am going to do. And from the stuff we hear, uh, it's probably going to be Patrick Sertain. But if they took Micah Parsons, uh, I wouldn't be surprised. And frankly, I would applaud the pick because the cornerback's not going to help them stop the run. And last year they gave up the second most rushing yards in franchise history, and teams averaged five yards a carry. In my good math, that means it's a half a first down every time somebody ran the ball on average. And a cornerback certainly not going to help the run defense. Uh, I think they should take Micah Parsons, but I'll say uh, I- I'll be very conservative here and say they're going to take Sertain, but I certainly wouldn't be surprised if they took the best defensive player on the board. All right, Mickey, a couple follow-ups here. Do you think it's definitely going to be Sertain if they go cornerback? Because I know there's a lot of connections to South Carolina with the coaching staff. Do you think J.C. Horn is a legitimate possibility? The last I heard, uh, it sounds like it may be a coin flip between the two guys. So it would not surprise me. And then Here's the other thing that, uh, John, that kind of enters in the conversation if they feel that highly about both guys. And you figure that uh, that Parsons is there, and even Koromoa, uh, if somebody comes up with, uh, you know, will offer them the King's Ransom to trade back a couple spots, and they would have a choice of one of those three guys, I think they'd have to seriously look at that possibility. But it'd have to be a lot because if someone's trading up to get a, a, a quarterback uh, at number ten, then I'm I'm saying uh, you got to give me a couple first and a second. You know we can switch spots, but I want a first for next year, and I probably want a second or a third for this year. So it'll be interesting to see if it works out the way you guys have it, uh, and all three of those guys are available. Uh, and that will mean the Cowboys will have to do some very good reconnaissance work to figure out what the teams behind them uh, actually want to do. If they take Parsons, what does that mean for Jalen Smith and Leighton Vander Esch, which I think is interesting? I, I think that means that Jalen Smith's going to have to figure out uh, where, uh, where he's going to play. I think Vander Esch is your middle linebacker. I think Parsons, the weak side linebacker, and Jalen Smith is a strong side linebacker, which they refused to use last year, by the way. Uh, I don't know if it was because they didn't trust anybody, but they just you know, played nickel defense almost every down, no matter how the offense lined up. Offense lined up with two tight ends. The Cowboys played their nickel defense. Uh, and, and the worst part of that nickel uh, was they would play a single safety high and they would take poor Xavier Woods and put him down in the box. Uh, and, and you got like a 205-pound safety trying to take on tight ends uh, in the run game. Uh, and I think they were so stubborn. It, it's one of the reasons why teams ran over them the way they ran over them, giving up in one game 300 yards. Are you kidding me, rushing? Uh, so there's a reason why Mike Nolan's not here anymore. Uh, and as I've pointed out, John, previously, uh, Dan Quinn has to be the Cowboys' best off-season acquisition if they're going to change 6-10 and 10 from last year. All right, Mickey, final question. This is the same debate we've had up here, so I'm curious to see 
in Cowboys land what this debate is. Everyone can always use a pass rusher. We've heard Jerry Jones talk about his war daddies before at defensive end, right? But is 10 or, frankly, 11, where the Giants pick next, is that a little too rich here, or is that a trade-down scenario? What's the conversation like about this edge class down there in Big D? Yeah, I think the edge class is probably a trade-down. I don't see... Here, here's my thought on it, John. If, if I'm taking a defensive end at 10, he better be the next DeMarcus Ware. Right. And I, I don't see that guy. Uh, now, if, if you're just you know, just hard-pressed for a defensive end, maybe someone takes a, a shot at that. But I think there's better players available at 10, 11, 12 uh, than possibly a defensive end. And I think the, the thing that everybody forgets about the Cowboys is – Randy Gregory only played half a season last year, and, and, and those last five, six games he played, he was awfully effective. And so, to me, he's their he's their defensive end. Uh, you know, I know they signed uh, Tyrell Basham in, in in the off season, but he's just kind of, to me a rotation guy. And Randy Gregory not only did a good job uh, rushing the quarterback. But he also played the run and set the edge pretty darn well for a guy that hadn't played in quite some time. So to me, uh, they've got their defensive end that it's probably better than the guys that are in this draft right now. Uh, to me, you can get that in the second, third round. Same thing to me if you ended up taking the linebacker. There's going to be cornerbacks in the second round. They got Trayvon Diggs in the second round sure. uh, last year. A pretty nice pick. Uh, and then third, fourth round, uh, an offensive tackle, I could see them doing that. Mickey, you just made um, our fellow Paisan, Paul Dottino, very unhappy. He's been targeting Patrick Sertan for about a month now. You just broke his heart, but I enjoy that, so it's okay. We appreciate the time, my friend. We'll talk to you well, soon. I just enjoy had, the draft. I just had this feeling that the Giants want Parsons, the linebacker, so... Uh, uh, but I, I think they'll go certain, uh, but I would like them to go Micah Parsons. There is there is a vocal faction of Giant fans that, that do want to return to that linebacker tra- tradition, so we'll see where they go, Mickey. I appreciate the time, my friend. Talk soon. Good to be with you, John. All right, we are here. We've gotten to the Giants at pick number 11, picks 1 through 10 on the board. Just to remind fans of exactly who has gone where, the Jaguars selected Trevor Lawrence at number 1. The Jets at number 2 select Zach Wilson. 49ers select Justin Fields. Falcons go Kyle Pitts. Bengals, Jamar Chase. Dolphins select 2 as teammate Devonta Smith. Lions take Penny Sewell. Back-to-back offensive lineman at eight with the Panthers taking Rayshon Slater. Broncos going Mac Jones, the fourth quarterback. Trey Lance still on the board. And then the Dallas Cowboys selecting Patrick Sertan. And you just heard Mickey Spagnola. Micah Parsons, a consideration there. So was J.C. Horn. But he goes with the safe pick and Patrick Sertan out of Alabama. And joining us to make the Giants pick a number 11, he covers the team for the Athletics. He is Dan Duggan. Dan, it's good to have you on, man. What do you think about these first 10 picks? Yeah, I mean, I think that's not the worst-case scenario by any stretch for the Giants. I mean, I know that maybe, you know, fans might have had their hearts set on uh, Jamar Chase or Kyle Pitts. I think we know they're not falling that far. But, you know, Devontae Smith is probably the one guy that I think a lot of Giants fans would be a little disappointed to see go. Um, but, you know, we're going to see four quarterbacks at least, so that, that's a good thing. Um, you know, having Trey Lance there maybe opens the door to, uh, to Dave Gettleman's mythical trade back. Uh, leaves that door open. Um, but, you know, there's certainly still some, some talent on the board here. I think, you know, that's, 
how it's going to be at eleven at the eleventh pick with four or five quarterbacks going to the top ten. They're going to get a, a premium player, and there's still definitely some on the board here. Should the Giant fans have a come to Jesus moment early that one of those top two offensive linemen will probably not be there at eleven? Yeah, I mean, I think Sewell, there's no chance from everything you kind of hear of getting out of the top ten. I think Slater's a guy that early in the process you might have said, ooh, like he'd be a nice fit. You can put him at tackle, put him at guard. And, and you know, I think this offensive line is still not a finished product. But uh, as we get closer to the draft, it, it definitely sounds like this, this mock is on the money that he isn't going to sneak out of the top ten either. Yeah, I agree. I'm with you. I think that's becoming more and more unlikely. All right, so let's sit here. And before you make your pick, how – Anxious are you, Dan Duggan, GM, before we turn you into Dave Gettleman, GM, picking up the phone to try to move back in this spot? Yeah, I mean, I'm a proponent of that approach. I mean, I don't think you have to do every single time you're on the clock. I think there are definitely times where, hey, value, need, everything matches up. You love a guy, you take him. Like, I mean, certainly Dave Gettleman subscribes to that theory. You know, it's been well documented. But uh, I think at this point here, I'd certainly have the phone on and, and probably be making a few calls because I think there are – uh, a group of players that are, you know, are, are pretty intriguing, and if you can get someone who's really desperate to come up and get Trey Lance, and I think, you know, Joe Judge, his, his former team, uh, sitting at 15 there, uh, could make a lot of sense. I think people s- sort of feel like they're kind of lurking uh, on the quarterback market. So if I could do that trade and only move back a few spots, I think you're still going to get maybe the player I'm targeting, anyways. I think that makes a lot of sense. Um, you listen with I'm a, I'm a kind of I need to see it to believe it type of guy and so the fact that <laughs> Gettleman has done a draft and never traded back um you know I'm, I'm not expecting that but you do hear that it, it's more of a possibility this year than maybe in the past so um yeah I certainly can't rule it out how far back would you be willing to go we've heard Arizona might be looking to be aggressive for a non-quarterback and in this case Jalen Waddle is on the board who knows would you be willing to drop as far back as 19? I know Washington in your division, maybe you don't want to do that, or 20 to the Bears if one of those two teams are looking for a quarterback. Yeah, I mean, I don't think you know Washington would happen, like you said, just for the division factor. But I think Chicago, that's probably the floor. I don't think I want to go further than 20. And I certainly don't think Dave Gettleman's you know, first trade back is going to be some dramatic, you know, like 18-pick slide. I think you're talking... <laughs> You're talking nine picks there, and then I think you're just, you're, you know, like everything in this whole draft process about value, you know, edge rusher at 11 might not be great value. Edge rusher at 20, you know, I think you could definitely justify that. And, again, you're probably picking up, you know, a second-round pick this year, maybe a first next year or a second next year. You're picking up a, a premium asset or two in that type of deal to go back that far. So I think, you, you know, you have to weigh that. Again, I don't think they would go further than that. Uh, again, I think 15 is really probably the sweet spot for them because you're not going back that far. You're probably going to pick up either a couple mid-round picks, maybe a second-round pick. So uh, I think that's probably the best-case scenario or the, or the most likely uh, package that they would they would come together with. But uh can't rule out 20, I think, is probably as far as I would go back. Yeah, and I agree, and I think 20 to, to 11 would probably be a, a, a two and a future one. I'm with you on that. What do you think the price would be for New England? You mentioned that as a sweet spot. Is that just a straight-up their second-round pick? Are you trying to get more than that? Yeah, well, I mean, I've done some research on this because obviously you kind of use the, pra- the pass as sort of a predictive measure. And a few years ago, Arizona moved up in a very similar situation. I think they had the 15th pick, and they moved up to 10 um, with Oakland. And I think they gave up like a three and a four. Um, to, and they got Josh Rosen. It was you know, a similar situation where they were kind of getting the last quarterback of that crop. Um, and I think there's another trade back with Blaine Gabbard. It was, you know, maybe it was like 2011 where a team moved up from like 16 to 10 and they gave up their second round pick. So there's sort of, you know, you can kind of like 
pick one of those two. I mean, obviously, if you're the Giants, I think you'd push for the second. Um, but if you, you know, if you can only get a third and a fourth, again, if you're only going back four spots and you still feel like you can get who you probably were targeting 11, I don't know that you have to drive that hard of a bargain. So um, I think those are sort of the two options. Just, you know, again, looking at history, things could be totally different this year. And if, if a couple of teams are calling, then, you know, maybe you get more of a premium. Um, but I think you're definitely looking at, um, you know, either a, a second round pick or a, a day two pick in the third round and then another day three pick, which, um, you know, could certainly help a team that still needs to fill some holes and, and, you know, build some better depth. Before we make the pick, who are the players in consideration here if you can't make that trade down for the selection? Yeah, so I think with what's available, certainly Waddle. Um, you know, I don't think the team that, you know, ranked 31st in scoring can turn their nose up at any sort of playmakers, even though, you know, what they've done in free agency. Uh, I think Micah Parsons is certainly an intriguing guy and strictly based on talent is, you know, probably a hard guy to pass on. Uh, I think J.C. Horn, the cornerback, I, I, I don't think, um, you know, again, going back to free agency, I don't think just because you've spent on a guy that means you're, you know, you're done there, uh, especially at a premium position like that. And I think kind of all the edge rushers, I mean, you kind of pick your flavor of, of who's the, your favorite guy. I think, you know, Ojolari from Georgia, Quiddy Pay, uh, Jalen Phillips, probably the top three guys and sort of what I gather from, you know, from sources and just where you read the tea leaves. Um, so I think that was, that's why I have a half dozen guys right there. I think those guys um, probably all pretty much in play at 11. All right, Dan, let's make your pick in the 2021 Giants huddle beat reporter mock draft. Dan Duggan representing Dave Gettleman and the New York Giants selects. I'm going to go with JC Horn. And I think that's probably a bit of a curveball. I was throughout this process. I've really been uh, thinking of being edge rusher just because that seemed like it was, you know, the biggest hole they, they had left to fill at the free agency. But it just doesn't seem like any of these edge guys I just mentioned are worthy of the 11th pick. Now, maybe if they trade back to 15 or 20, it becomes more of a consideration. Um, and, I, and I know people are going to say, you know, what about Waddle? But um, I just think that uh, Horn it would be a big piece of this defense. Um, you know, again, I know people are going to say, hey, you have James Bradbury, you have a Dory Jackson. Well, James Bradbury only has two more years left on his deal. Dory Jackson only signed a three-year deal. I mean, you are not taking a, a player at 11 strictly for the 2021 season. You have to have a long-term view. So if you think he's an elite cornerback, which I believe uh, he could become one, you're talking about a guy who's under contract for five years and, and could be a big piece going forward. I don't think uh, that's a position you can have too much talent. I think we've seen that they're willing to be flexible and get a ton of defensive backs on the field. I think Patrick Graham wants to play a lot of man-to-man defense. So you might say, well, who plays inside, who plays outside? Well, I think it's matchup based. You know, Adoree Jackson will cover the, the quicker, you know, receiver. James Bradbury will cover the bigger receiver. And J.C. Horn gets, you know, whoever's left, basically. Um, so, you know, I think that might be a little bit of a curveball to people who are uh, clamoring for wide receiver or, or thinking edge rush is the biggest need or just are blown away by Micah Parsons. But I really, the more I've kind of, you know, dr- driven down in this process, it just feels like if, if Sertan was available, I think he would probably be the guy. And I think a lot of people do expect him to go to Dallas. I think Horn uh, is sort of the next best option. Now, if Dan Duggan was making the selection, would this be the same pick, or would you go Waddle? Ah, uh, that's that's a great question. Because uh, I, if it was me, I would love to see Slater get there. Because I'm not as sold on the offensive line. I agree with you, by the way. I, I'm with you, Dan. I'm I'm hoping Slater gets there too. Yeah, because I I think that, you know they have faith in a lot of these young guys, and I understand you want to see him play, but. I would love to get like a premium offensive lineman to really put him over the top, but hey, listen, he's not even available, so <laughs> that's kind of mood. And I don't think uh, that next you know tier of offensive linemen are are really going to be there at eleven. I think you know they'd probably maybe target one at forty-two, if anything. 
Um, so the more I think about Horn, I'm, I'm kind of selling myself on it. You know, I think an edge rusher would make a lot of sense, but just the fact that at 11, I just don't think the value's there. So I think the edge rushers become way more into play if they, they are able to trade back. I think that might be the best case scenario. Maybe you trade back to 15 and then get an edge rusher, and, and I think that might be the you know, best case scenario. But again, if we're talking about sitting here at 11, uh, if they take J.C. Horn, I, I certainly can't criticize it because I, I do think, you know, cornerbacks are, are super valuable. And I, and I don't think you have enough of them because, look, they went through a year last year where they had one quality cornerback. So I don't think having three quality cornerbacks becomes a problem. Uh, I think you know Patrick Graham is, is smart enough and creative enough to figure out a way uh, to get all those guys in the field. And, again, you're talking down the road where, you know, James Bradbury is awesome this year, but who knows what he's going to look like in two three years. And, you know, maybe you move on and, and J.J. Horn becomes your number one corner. I think it's just a, a good idea to just get premium talent uh, when you have the 11th pick. And I think he is a guy who, you know, is a premium talent, plays a premium position. Uh, so, again, I, I couldn't criticize that if that's the pick. All right, I want to go through a couple of those other options. Micah Parsons, how do you think he would fit next to Martinez, how the Giants want to operate? We know in, in nickel and dime situations last year, Dan, they like to play all those safeties, and basically Peppers played linebacker, right? So then do one of those safeties get taken off the field? How do you feel about the fit and value for Parsons at number 11? Yeah, he's such a wild card in this whole process. You know, I think if you're just looking at like the raw talent, uh, he's probably a top five type talent. Yeah, agreed. Um, but there's certainly enough kind of murky questions. A lot of the stuff with him seems like it's maturity based, not, you know, no criminal past or anything like that. And, um, I do think if you're the Giants and you had, you know, the DeAndre Baker fiasco a couple of years ago, that might give you a little bit of pause. But, um, you know, that's going to be in the eye of the beholder. And we certainly don't have the same information these teams have after doing, you know, months and months of research and interviews uh, and all that. So uh, if they make the pick, clearly they would be comfortable with all that stuff. Uh, but on the field, yeah, I mean, I think he'd be a tremendous fit because you have Blake Martinez to to be that guy to run the defense and be super reliable and kind of free Parsons up because, you know, listen, we saw flashes from Tay Crowder, uh, you know, play pretty well in that spot next to Martinez. I think, you know, no one would argue that Michael Parsons is uh, significantly more talented, just, you know, physically gifted. Um, so, yeah, I think he's sliding well. He's got the versatility where, he, you know, he, I think he can bump most to the edge in certain situations. Because, again, Patrick sure. Graham, it's like, you know, he's the mad scientist. He's never going to line up in a 3-4, first down, second down, third down. It's going to be a different package every snap and every game and every, you know, quarter. Um, so I, I think he's a guy who you would definitely find a role for. I think he is intriguing. I, I certainly uh, can't rule him out at 11. Um, but just, the, you know, the, the off-field stuff is, is still a little bit of a question mark, and, and I don't know that that is – um, their biggest need, you know, because I think they, you know, they have Martinez in there. They're able to get by with some of those other guys, as you mentioned. Peppers is basically a linebacker in, in a lot of packages, um, so I, I don't think he'll be the pick, but certainly um, he is an intriguing option, and I wouldn't be shocked if if he does, you know, if he does get the call. Do you think Dave would hesitate just because of what you've seen his drafting in the past of taking a wide receiver there after investing so much in Galladay, or do you think it's a calculation, well, this is such a deep-drafted wide receiver, we can just go grab a guy later that can fit into that four-man rotation at the position? Yeah, no, I definitely think the, the depth of the, the, the draft has to factor in because, yeah, you you, know, you pass on wide receiver 11, it's not like, oh, man, where we're ever going to find a good one. You know, there's going to be some really good options at 42 and sure. even at 76. I mean, it's the, the, supposed to be a really deep class. Um, you know, I think you have three guys who you feel very strongly, um, you know, are top-line guys. You know, obviously I'm not saying Slayton and Shepard are pro bowlers, but, you know, they're quality NFL players. And obviously you're expecting Galladay to be a number one receiver. And then, you know, even guys like John Ross, I think there's some intrigue there that, 
you know, you're not expecting him to be the, you know, whatever he was, number nine pick a couple of years ago. You're expecting him to be the number four receiver who can come in and, you know, every other game maybe get a 30 yard catch. You know, that, that's all they're looking for out of him. Now, you know, as I said, Waddle, uh, they, they can't turn their nose up at playmakers. If, if he's there, uh, I think he definitely warrants some serious consideration. Anybody who's getting Tyree Kill comparisons, I think, uh, definitely, uh, would, would generate some interest. I just, I just don't know if that's the direction they go because, uh, you know, what they have now, um, you know, I don't know if he's the best fit. Maybe if Smith was there, maybe he'd, they'd be more inclined to take him. I don't know. I mean, it, it, it's fun. It's a fun exercise. I'm sitting here. I can make a case for five sure. different guys, yeah. and that's why um, it's a good spot to be in. It's not like, oh, man, we have to, you know, reach and be desperate. I mean, that you really can't knock all these guys we've kind of rattled through here. They would all be good picks. So, um, you know, I, I'm going with Horn, but, you know, very easily could you could sway me to Parsons or Waddle because it's not like there's, um, you know, big question marks there in terms of their talent and what they could do to help the team. Yeah, and the edge spot is tough. Like you, I've talked to a bunch of different people around the league, and you talk to one guy, and you can hear one of four guys as, as their top edge rusher. You mentioned the three. I'll throw Jason Oway in there. Some people really like him. And I think it's just a really tough position as it is, you know, the bust rate on edge rushers is pretty high in drafts. It's just the way the position is. And this year, every one of these guys, Dan, is something where you're like, oh, boy, I'm a little bit worried about that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. What I come back to on the edge, though, is that they did go after Leonard Floyd hard uh, early in free agency. Sure. My no, dad, gentlemen, yeah. Boston accent almost came out there with hot. But um, <laughs> so, so, like, they know that they need the position because I think there was a – uh, a feeling of like, hey, you know, the Patriots don't really invest big in edge rushers. Well, then they just don't sign Matt Judon. You know, so like, it's not as if like anything is, is set in stone with how these teams, you know, operate and build their teams and build their defenses. So if if the right guy comes along, whether it's you know Judon, New England, or or Floyd here, they they would have been willing to pay. So I don't think they're just content with what they have, but I just don't know that they want to force it at eleven. I, again, I think it comes way more into play if they trade back to fifteen or especially twenty, because then. If you get to 20, I think then guys like Waddle and Parsons will definitely be gone and Horn will definitely be gone. So then you're really kind of um, narrowing it down to edge guys, I think, at that point. Um, but maybe a guy slides to 42. You know, you don't know. Um, you know, crazy things happen in the draft. Probably won't. So some of the names you just mentioned, but but it's possible. And maybe they feel like, all right, you know, we get the, the premium corner in the first round and we can still get a you know a solid edge guy to just kind of improve that that rotation there because i mean I, I think that that position is definitely a question mark um but you know they did manage last year with nico lalos and jabal sheard and and carter coffin it wasn't exactly like they had uh, you know lt screaming off the edge last year and they had a good defense so maybe they feel like they can patch it together just try to improve it you know with a second round pick and just, just kind of maybe next year is when they take the big swing Final question, Dan. Now with J.C. Horn in your rear pocket, moving into rounds two and three, what are your priorities here based on need, uh, the quality of players that are going to be there, and the depth of this class in general? Yeah, so I mean, I think that the, probably the three positions that would still be kind of in my sights are interior offensive line, wide receiver, and edge rusher. Uh, you know, which round you target one kind of depends, obviously, on how the board falls. I, I think that 42 feels like a sweet spot to, to maybe get an interior off the line and a guy who could sort of be the next Will Hernandez, who they took, you know, obviously early in the second round and came right in and started. You know, they get somebody there, maybe he comes in and either, you know, pushes Hernandez or takes his job or provides depth. Um, and that would make a lot of sense. But, as you know, as we just touched on edge, I think that could be a kind of a sweet spot there where maybe you're not getting the, the top one or two guys in this class, but maybe the third or fourth or fifth guy uh, is available and is a guy who can at least step in and help you there. And then wide receiver – you know, maybe that's the spot where you, you wait till the third round or even day three, because again, we just keep hearing you know, how deep this class is, that position. 
they're pretty set at their top line receivers, but certainly could use depth and could use, uh, you know, a young guy because, you know, Shepard's not getting any younger. And uh, you guys are always looking to the future. Like, I'm, like that, was my, that was my whole logic behind the J.C. Horn pick is, you know, what you have now doesn't necessarily mean what you're going to have by the time these guys are, you know, wrapping up their rookie deal. So, um, but I think maybe wide receivers out of those positions I mentioned, the one they can probably afford to wait on. Um, but, yeah, I mean, it, it's going to be fascinating to see because, you know, we can sit here and, and guess and predict, and then all of a sudden, you know, one trade or one crazy pick, and, and the whole board gets turned upside down. So to try and pick 11 is hard enough. So 42 and 76, I'll leave that to you. Yeah, fair point, Dan. Appreciate the time, my friend. Good stuff. Enjoy the draft. We'll talk to you soon, bud. All right, sounds good. Thanks, John. That's the 2021 Giants Huddle Mock Draft, our second ever. The Giants select J.C. Horn, cornerback out of South Carolina, son of former NFL wide receiver Joe Horn. Again, just to recap, Jaguars select Trevor Lawrence, quarterback out of Clemson, to kick us off. The Jets select quarterback Zach Wilson out of BYU, second overall. And then at pick number three, our first little left turn of our draft, Matt Barrows of the Athletics selects quarterback Justin Fields out of Ohio State to the 49ers. The Atlanta Falcons at number four, courtesy of D. Orlando Ledbetter, selects Kyle Pitts, the tight end out of Florida. And number five, Bengals play-by-play man Dan Horde selects Jamar Chase, wide receiver from LSU. Armando Salguero, our good friend from Miami of the Miami Herald, he selects Devontae Smith, wide receiver out of Alabama, to play with his former teammate Tua Tagovailoa. Now we're going to go to Jeff Risden, covers the Lions. Penny Sewell, offensive tackle out of Oregon to protect Jared Goff. Then we go down to Carolina, Elena Getzenberg from the Charlotte Observer. She selects left tackle Rayshon Slater. Says Justin Fields could have been a possibility if he fell. He did not. We go out to Denver, mile high. Mike Kliss from Nine News has covered the Broncos a long time. He selects Mac Jones. He says that's the quarterback the Broncos are targeting to fall here at number nine. And number 10, the Dallas Cowboys, courtesy of our good buddy Mickey Spagnola from DallasCowboys.com. Cornerback out of Alabama, Patrick Sertan II. And that leaves the New York football Giants at number 11. Dan Duggan, a chance to take Jalen Waddell, chance to take Micah Parsons, passes. He goes J.C. Horn, cornerback out of South Carolina. Again, son of Joe Horn. Dan going with the cornerback for the New York football Giants. That's our 2021 Giants huddle Second ever reporter mock draft. I'm John Schmelk. Just as a reminder, the Giants Little Podcast can be found at Giants.com slash podcast on your Giants mobile app and your favorite podcast platform. It's all presented by Investors Bank. Don't forget, Big Blue Kickoff Live comes away every weekday at noon on all those same platforms. We take your calls and talk to fans. For our group, I am John Schmelk. We thank everybody for joining us. We'll see you next time on the Giants Huddle.